5-Hour Energy is energy on the go. Well, what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then 5-Hour Energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell-bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. 5-Hour Energy. Energy for hunkering down. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer, and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. For the next 25 minutes, we talk about healing and growth from the inside out. Remember, you are 100% responsible for your happiness, joy, and well-being. So, Sherry, recently I had an interesting experience where I kind of got stuck between that space of being triggered and flooded. I was in this negotiating uh, scenario where I was negotiating a price. Well, we were negotiating a price on a big thing. I thought this was all about me. Well. So, in any case. You got triggered. I did get triggered. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it took away... The reason it triggered me is because it took away all of my perceived options. I kind of felt trapped in, in this process. And it was your, lo- your logic and your non-emotional approach to the situation that kind of gave me a pause. And then I started commencing the process, the data. I don't know if, if you remember what you said. No, I don't remember how you got out of it. But we do want to separate a little bit like you were feeling this triggered experience. Right. And, and, and then what does it mean if you were to have become flooded, which you kept yourself away from, you know, that you were able to abate that. Well, let's but first of all define the difference. what does it mean to be right. triggered versus flooded? So there is a difference, and we oftentimes use triggered to be a universal manifestation of someone going to fight or flight. Right. I and mean, we hear it all the time, I'm triggered, or I'm triggered right. by this. I'm we actually hide behind getting mm-hmm. triggered many times, or many people do. Or people with PTSD get triggered by a stimuli or something like that. Yeah, and so the argument is that, as I've studied this, triggered is not anything negative. It's a neutral phenomena that happens to every human being. So if you'd be good enough to read the definition of trigger, I'll give the contrast on flooded. Okay. So trigger is stimuli acknowledged in one's body brains that something's potentially dangerous or exciting. When used to protect one's boundaries, it is a healthy experience and the person does not move to being flooded. Being triggered is neutral. It signals something is amiss or out of alignment. It is negative when one moves to fight or flight. So in other words, everybody gets triggered regularly. There's nothing inherently wrong or negative about being triggered. Um, Today when I finished up my round of golf, I was triggered. Why? Because I knew I was going to see you tonight. That was an exciting thing. So a positive trigger. Right. Right. Response to stimuli or anticipatory stimuli. I was anticipating it. And then it was a dopamine anticipatory issue because it was fun Mm -hmm. for me. I was excited to do that. But being tr- triggered is can lead to a, a place called being flooded. And it's that interim period that I caught myself in. Very uncomfortable. I could feel like I was almost moving to a position of being flooded. What would it have looked like had you flooded on this negotiation piece by uh, definition? I would, I would have gone into what we call in, uh, a cognitive distortion or a cognitive dissonance. I would have started saying things, doing things, shutting down, making absolutes. We're not doing this anymore. We're not going to even buy that product. 
I would have just shut down, right? Mm -hmm. That's being a flood. So let me read that definition. Flooded is an opiate-induced state of fight, flight, freeze, or faint. It is that state where you collect negative energy and displace your healthy energy. It is a loss of agency and associated with addiction. Flooded follows triggered if you don't harness it. What happened in that moment was I was getting frustrated. And you started explaining logically. You actually channeled Frank Seal. You channeled your dad for just a second. It's what I perceived. And you simply said, okay, Rich, this is what we know. This is what they're saying. This is kind of how we're approaching it. And as you were talking, I was just listening. I was just processing. And I started realizing that I had many options. So that where you would have gone flooded is if you would have taken that stimuli, like something isn't as I expected it and had taken it to a cognitive dissonant place. Right. If I remember right, in some of my conversation with you, I was really breaking down some of the math because mm -hmm. we were talking about a multi-layer pricing on a big ticket item. Right. And I was trying to show in comparison that there was a ratio so that you could see really was more even, Stephen, because you felt like something but was off. My perceived on the date, my perception of the, the data, data was distorted. Right. Because we didn't have all the data and you had new information that you shared with me. Well, it was just processing a little bit of math actually, but yeah. So there's a quote here that I'm, I'm very fond of by a gentleman whose name is Epictetus. He lived in the first and second century. What really frightens and dismays us is not external events themselves but the way in which we think about them. It is not things that disturb us, but our interpretation of their significance. I was interpreting that person's phrase um, in such a way that I distorted it, their, the significance of it. I shut down more thinking and problem solving. I didn't go into any kind of understanding. I went to an immediate assumption of the way things should have been. So my um, expectations became nothing but frustration to me. Right. So let me finish a uh, little bit of this one because I've kind of written out some thoughts that I have for a lot of my clients. Epictetus, along with a host of other great thinkers, noticed how man can think himself into a quandary with very limited information coupled with a strong bias toward a perceived situation. In all of my years, I've always been able to negotiate for this type of an item. I've never not. In terms been. of dickering and making an offer. And, and so that was historically how the purchasing went. Even if it wasn't so much a dicker on price, it was a negotiated exchange of exactly. certain aspects. Mm -hmm. That, you know, okay. Give then, and take. Yeah, yeah. But there was none. It, I was completely shut down. We don't do that, was the statement that kind of put me out These of my These are non negotiated. Right. Shakespeare also said, there's nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So if you'll remember a little bit, I don't remember how many shows ago it was, where we kind of talked about the coddling of America mm -hmm. or the American mind and how people are moving into these false narratives and these false narratives where we're going. There are three things. Remember, they went to this alleged great Greek um, philosopher, mm -hmm. these truths that he said. One was what doesn't kill you makes you weaker. We now determined or we discovered that that was the myth of fragility right. or being fragile. Um, number two was always trust your feelings. Well, the myth of emotional reasoning. 
And that's kind of where we're, we're stuck right so here. So that's where a thought over thought, over thought, overthinking hmm. becomes a feeling that dictates a perception. Well, there's a loss of cognitive rationality mm-hmm. because you move past that point and you were expecting something. So we talked about this a little bit before we started. Um, years ago, remember when we were doing the addiction recovery, we came up with expectation yeah. A and expectation B. Yeah. So we're getting really cerebral talking about something that we defined back in, during the addiction recovery, yeah, facilitating as, as volunteers that we found this troubles a lot of people. Like this is a common trap and we called them expectation A and expectation B. So getting away from the cerebral world, we're just going to say, okay, we got expectation A works off of a certain kind of history. Yes, it's your past. It's like a credit report. It's the way it's always been. Past behavior has always dictated this. So it's really a perception based upon some concrete experiences, experiences, which is called reality. Well, to a point only, because I'd argue that lots of times, even though we have repeated experiences, it's our interpretation of those experiences. We may have gone through the same set of experiences. So, for example, we went through four years of grad school for argument's sake. Mm-hmm. But your take on that grad school or your take on a specific class or a professor, even though we experienced it at the same time, will be dramatically different than mine or potentially could be. So it's how you interpret the many times that you've had said experiences. True. <clears throat> Expectation B is how you perceive it should be based upon your biased experiences. And I would say, I would throw in there your bias could be based off of your desires of an outcome, your experiences with like um, cases of experiences. So when your recent triggering was yeah. really an expectation right. A. Fully, yeah. Because well, history had told you that in this kind of negotiation, there's a little bit of give and take and there's this, you make an offer and they counter an but offer. But it wasn't A that got me into trouble. No, it was in the perception right. that it always has to be that way. And I did not come from a position of neutrality. I fully expected that I'd have the opportunity to either negotiate, seek greater understanding, at least work with them in some of these areas. Because it was, um, in, in my mind's eye, that's how it's always been and probably always will be. I'd never encountered something along this line. So you say it was a little bit of rational talk on my part to help you kind of get out of that. But I really want to know what were you, because I'm, I'm an outside stimuli. What were you telling yourself? What was, mm. what was the voice in your head saying when this was all going on. First yeah. of all, you have to think, do I really want this item or not to even That's where stay it first went. in I participating was, in this process? I was frustrated enough at that moment that I said, well, then forget it. I'm not going to go there. You okay. don't. Freeze on, forget it. What feels so good when people can get triggered and reject what they're encountering? When they can just say, forget it. I, I don't want to deal with any of you. I'm done with you. What's going on inside someone's brain when they go to that point? They have moved past the cognitive aspect of the reasonable and rational, and the elephant or the dragon is now driving the helm with no rudder because 
had I said forget it and meant it and followed through with it, it was forget it in my mind's eye. It wasn't forget it with my actual words. At least I don't remember saying it. No, no. It's something I really want. But we do that because it's a medicated process because we're frustrated and it hurts. So somewhere in the past, it felt good to shut down before. So shut down doesn't sound like it would feel good, but it actually does to the person who chooses the shutdown. It feels good for a temporary period yeah. only. Right. And that's when you started talking, I started saying, what happens if I follow through with forget it? Oh. That's what was going on so in that moment. So you weighed against forget it versus let me listen to this rational thinker. Yeah, that's the <laughs> what if. I heard Sorry. that. <laughs> not I'm that not trying funny. to pat myself on the back, but. But you are. It helps. But in that moment, <laughs> what I was doing is I was going through the what if scenario. The way you can stop okay. a sabotaging, you know, a, a, a hijacking process, mm -hmm. right, where your subconscious takes over is to question what if. And the first thing I asked was, what if you go through with it? What does that look like? And then I had a, a hollow pit in my stomach. And then I thought, okay, what if there is a way through this? That's when I started going, okay, if there's a way through this, what does it look like? And as you were talking, then I went back and said, okay, let me listen to Sherry's numbers. Let me look at them again. And if you'll remember, I came back a couple hours later mm -hmm. and I said, okay, I'm very comfortable where we're going right now. It makes sense to me. I just had to do the what if long enough so the subconscious and the conscious could kind of come back to a singular position. Well, then you were able to get your rational brain back into the, right. the conversation. Because I had taken off and allowing what I thought about it to move further. So let me go to another story. Um, a gentleman by the name of Bothius was awaiting execution in the year 524 A.D. in his jail cell. He wrote the following. Nothing is miserable unless you think it so. And on the other hand... Nothing brings happiness unless you are content with it. Well, in that very moment when I said, just forget it, I don't want to do this anymore, I wasn't feeling so hard. Yes, I was drugging myself because I was saying, then forget it, I'll show them. Mm -hmm. But it really, when I went, what if, it moved me very uncomfortable quickly because I was able to arrest the trigger. And in days gone by, you know as well as I do, I'd have gone to flood. And that's not any fun for me. So um, to further the thought process that I was taking this, using emotion to reason through troubled waters is cognitive dissonance. Say it again, using emotion. So in other words, let's say I, I continued my pattern and I went to flooded. Okay. My emotions then would have been negotiating through the troubled waters that we were not able to negotiate, for example. That's cognitive dissonance because I would have got exactly what I didn't want. Exactly, yeah. So when emotions take the helm, it's a rudderless experience. Direction is not calculated, planned, or in harmony. And this is true for me. It would not have been harmony with my values, my willpower, or my principles. Because everything I'd worked for was to settling this negotiation and moving forward with our life. Because it's a big deal to you and me. Mm-hmm. So it's a breakdown of integrity. So this is the definition of cognitive dissonance. It is when one uses selective memory, which creates bias in the situation, what I call immaculate perception. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. Let's look that one up. Okay. I've got it right here. Good. 
So here we go. Immaculate perception. So the immaculate perception is one's belief bias based on experiential blindness. One's immaculate perception is fueled and deepened by confirmation bias. It is marked by prediction error and illusionary beliefs. It is a space where assumptions are not questioned and low self-awareness. It is about who is right with no awareness or attempt to discover what is right. And you were in that I space of feeling like right. when, when you're like, I'm going to show them and forget yeah. it. That is all about who is right. And I wanted to be right in the worst way. And, and wanting to be right is an addictive process chemically in your brain. Right. And when I wanted to be right, it was because I'll show you. I'll get you, and then I'll do something stupid that is not necessarily in my best interest. Or in what you actually want. So this immaculate perception also is without empathy or compassion. And when we talk about empathy, and that's another thing we've broken out and defined in previous podcasts, is that um, being able to look through someone else's eyes. Well, when your perception is so biased, you're not going to be able to take on a different perception. And when you lose that ability to be flexible in perceptions, you've actually lost all perception in, in, in reality. And that's the challenge is the perception is so, and that's where it's a cognitive dissonance. It is so moved out because it's my selective memory, but it's not in touch with really what's going on. And in our challenges, when we start telling ourselves false, false beliefs, for example, is none of that's real. You're not worthless. You, you can develop good relations with your people, but when you say, I'm not worth it, I'm not good enough, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I'm powerless, mm -hmm. and you follow a behavior along that line, you push everyone away, and it's your way of medicating. So my argument has been for some time now that people who move into anxiety and or depression are simply in cognitive dissonance. They're medicating themselves. And I know that the, the medical world likes to find this magic pill to cure the ill. But the challenge we've got is you don't, you don't cure the problem. Because that person who's medicating will continue to do it, and that's how they, they cope with the scenario moving on. So to, to further uh, the, the conversation, the key to confronting a false narrative is facing the false belief head-on and questioning it. So I said, what if? So I was having to question me which, you know, I'm not very good at it sometimes when you move into the who is right. And I just want to highlight that that strategy of being able to ask the question, what if? Have the self-awareness of, oh, wait, I'm being triggered. I've lost, I'm losing some rationality here. Now, if I can do the what if, I've just gained that perception flexibility. Right. I can try on another thought just for the sake of trying it on and seeing what that feels like. Well, what you're doing when you're what ifing is you're giving yourself a chance to hey, that sounds really funny. <laughs> to interrupt the movement from trigger to flow. That's the idea. Um, so let me see where was I? All behavior is driven by beliefs. Oh, this is critical. Because of my experiences in the past, I created With high stake negotiations. Right, and well, to me, any negotiations, but it, this was a high stake. My experiences have given me a narrative about that. I have a belief structure about um, any time that I'm negotiating to buy something that um, whether it's true or not, it's my interpretation of that. When it got violated, I went into a preset mindset, my immaculate perception that that's, you can't do that. Well, why can't he or she do that? 
Who says they can't do that? Well, it's interesting you said that it was violated because it really wasn't. It's it just that... In my mind's eye, it was. Right. That's The word violated carries the kind of message that I'm trying to portray. Exactly. I'm frustrated. I was very frustrated. And so I was going to make an irrational decision because I'm frustrated and I would have medicated and felt great for about half a day. Then I'd have been miserable and regretting and then I would have had to eat crow if I were to have got, still wanted to do what I wanted to do and it would have been embarrassing. Mm. Okay, so what I'd like to do in the time we have left is go over a couple cognitive dissonances okay. that exist. Um, so when I was going to say all these behaviors, the very behavior that I engaged in, what I was doing, was the result of my beliefs that I have about me. My beliefs were the result of experiences that I had in the past. So keep that in mind. When we move to cognitive dissonance or distortions, it's because of these immaculate perceptions. So number one, emotional reasoning. Letting your feelings guide your interpretation of reality. So what would be an example of emotional reasoning in this scenario? I was saying, you can't do that. Now, that was not logical at all. Totally emotional on my part. Well, would there also be like a sense of control in all of these processes that I, I perceive the world based on that I have to feel the control in, the, in mm. a purchasing situation because I am the purchaser, which of course you still have the control. Yeah, I, like, I think you're right. I, did, I do like uh -huh. having control when I do that. So here's a quote coming from the researchers in this one. Mm -hmm. I feel depressed and my marriage is messed up. That would be my feelings are guiding my interpretation. So if I feel depressed in that time, in that moment, I felt frustrated and I felt um, thwarted, almost damned. Like they just threw a board up in front of me and said, you can't cross that at all. Did it feel like you were being cheated? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I just wanted to have my say in court, I think. I don't mean to come off as petty, but I felt like I had no voice in that moment. You would argue so. You, I mean, well, I could walk. You, yes, you can always say no. Yeah, I can, that's, what, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, I, instead of me it's just... where the rationality departs. If I'd have gone to flood, I would have skipped all the other what-ifs and I'd gone right to, I'm walking. That's it, I'm done. Yeah. And that, that would have felt so gorgeous. And then I would have felt like an absolute gorgeous patoot. Yeah. Okay, mind reading. Mm. You assume that you know what people think without sufficient evidence. It is based on your immaculate perception. For example, he thinks I'm a loser. Um, so, social comparisons and the... Mm. And then it, going back to um, Arbinger Institute, it would be the must-be-seen-as. Yep. So, I was talking to uh, a client the other day. This was fascinating. He's frustrated right now with um, uh, a significant other of his. Um, and they had spent some time apart, and the significant other um, seemed to be very manipulated by anybody with whom this person's in company with. She posted some pictures on Instagram, and then he checked the bank account and realized that she had purchased a bunch of likes for those pictures. Now, I didn't know that, it, that existed. What? You can buy likes? Yeah, so what? evidently that's something that's phenomenal. Seriously? Yeah. Okay, so. Okay, then this is a problem. Well, I didn't know this existed. 
And so as he's telling me the story, you know, trying to maintain some sort of professional decorum, I'm saying, okay, let me just make sure I got it. You can buy likes for your Instagram. Can you do it in Facebook too? You can do it in Facebook too. Fascinating. I had no idea. Okay. So in other words, what's the mindset of somebody who's buying a like? I must be perceived as being, and I'm, I then, so I must be seen as better than others or liked well enough or digitally the, as if that even means anything. Okay. So if you go back to the three A's, yeah. the three A's, that's affirmation, affection, it's, and this approval. This is affirmation, affection, approval in a really hardcore Okay. So I want to go over deficit. the sayings that we talked about. We've done this a couple of times, but this one is so powerful. So um, what we'll do is we'll finish up with this one. We each need boundaries, identity, safety, and a degree of order and consistency early to prime our first half of life. We need to feel special with an infinite supply of affirmation, affection, and approval. But notice what they're for. For efforts and earned accomplishments or, and this is why we're buying likes, or we will spend the rest of our lives searching for, demanding, and bemoaning its lack from others. If we are mirrored early in life, we won't spend the second half of life begging for the attention of others. And nine times out of ten or higher, there's um, some sort of an attachment disorder or trauma that happens within the family of origin that causes that person to think they have to seek for outside affirmation, affection, and approval in order for them to get through the day. So this mind-reading um, cognitive distortion really is the the three a the seeking of the three a's because it's driven by the fact that i believe others think i'm less than so i have to go get their attention affirmation approval so we're going to need to pick this up another time that was a lot of fun we barely scratched the surface on these cognitive distortions and how they apply with the false narratives that we tell ourselves and i'm really grateful that you got yourself out of that last little trap I really appreciate that. I was kind of listening to my lovely bride there at that moment. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, just remember the following. All resources are within you. You've got the skill set, the ability, and the capacity to work yourself through that interrupting phase from trigger to flood because it's perfect. No matter what happens, it's exactly what you need at that time to become integrated, to come closer to God. Perfect is a mistake that gets a retake. We look forward to talking to you again. Five-hour energy is energy on the go. Well, what if you're not going anywhere for a while? Then five-hour energy is for getting stuff done while you're stuck at home, like doing an honest day's work for your boss. Getting rid of old clothes. Oh, my old bell bottoms. Scouring the grout in your shower. Working out on that old stationary bike. And so much more. Go to the store or order online at shop5hourenergy.com. 5-Hour Energy. Energy for hunkering down.